to grab your Bible and open up to Acts 17. And the reason this passage is, infor- is important to us today is because Acts 17, it's, it's the backstory of when Paul, Silas, and Timothy first came to Thessalonica. So think of this in this series as this is the very first mission trip to Thessalonica. And I believe that, that when you are on a mission when, when you step outside of your comfort zone, when you become a part of something bigger than yourself, that God shows up. That God wants to work in you and through you as you are on a mission for him. My first missions trip was when I was 16, and I went to Brazil for two months. I flew into Manaus, Brazil. I took this ferry, this boat ride up the Amazon for three days, like sleeping in a hammock, like being rocked to sleep at night get off this ferry, I take a smaller boat up a tributary, and then even a smaller boat up this river, this river opens up into a lake. And in the middle of that lake, this summer for two months, we built this floating church. Now, Pastor Rick, that's the best parking lot ever. (laughs) Like seeing these people, these villagers around the lake, like paddling up and worshiping, docking their canoe on this church in the middle of the lake and worshiping, awesome. I mean, we need to give John Matlick like a life jacket and like put him to work. (laughs) God was building his church here on a lake. This was an unreached people group, this tribe. They had never before heard the name of Jesus. And these missionaries have, have come here and given their life to these people. Learning the people, loving the culture, loving the people, learning the language, translating scripture. I saw the gospel being shared with these people for the first time and people believing in the name of Jesus. Every week, we had to write these letters home and we just put the letter in the bag. Like, like there's no post office around here. I mean, there's no Starbucks in sight. Like, there's no hospital for days away. Like, I beat all of these letters home. We are in the middle of nowhere somewhere in the rainforest, Amazon jungle. Two months, no electricity, no running water, no Wi-Fi. Like a wooden box with a hole in the ground was our squatty potty. (laughs) We could only pack 35 pounds of clothes and belongings, like for the whole summer, because we had to bring in with us all of our food, all of our gear, all of our tools, all of our supply, like 35 pounds. Like that's not even like a carry-on. 35 pounds, like I've seen purses larger than 35 pounds. (laughs) I can't tell you like how many tarantulas I killed like bigger than my hand. Like at night, we we slept in tents and my tent was 20 feet away from the lake. At night, I could hear caimans. Do you know what those are? It's like alligators on steroids. I could hear caimans thrashing in the water in the middle of the night and I am sleeping in a tent. One night, middle of the night, I had to use a squatty potty, so I'm walking on this jungle trail, pitch black, no flashlight. I am walking on this trail, and all of a sudden, on this trail, like, I scared something, and it scared me. Like, I, I'm walking on this trail, and all of a sudden, there's this crashing, this, this running through the jungle. I think it was a wild pig, or maybe the jungle monster from Lost. Like, I don't know. It went running that way. I went running back to my tent. These people did not think like me. They did not speak like me. They did not look like me. And man, on this, this summer, sweating for Jesus, on this mission, seeing God building his church on a lake, 
Seeing these people who have never before heard the name of Jesus, like this fundamentally changed me. Like I am not the same person because of this trip. Acts 17, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're on a mission. Jesus has come and they wanna make him known, so they're going city to city to city. They are itinerant, traveling evangelists, sharing the gospel. They are making disciples, planting churches. But put yourself in their shoes. They've never been to this city. They don't know anyone. They are foreigners in this strange new city. There's no welcome party at the airport. Like there's no host family. They know no one. They are walking blindly into this new city. They don't know if they're gonna be received well or if they're gonna be run out of town. But they've got this this burning passion inside of them that they are on this, this mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts 17, verse one. Now when they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. See, this is the pattern of Paul. This is what Paul does in every city. He shows up in a new city, he goes straight to the synagogue. He preaches to the Jews, and if the Jews don't listen, he then goes to the Greeks. This was his custom, his, his routine. This is what he did. So Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scripture. Three Sabbath days. Like, we've been going through this series in Thessalonians, and, and when I first read this, like, this blew my mind. Like, three Sabbath days? How long is that? How long is three Sabbath days? It's like three weeks, right? Like three weekends, like at the most one month. And something has happened where Paul has, has connected with these people. Like this is a short period of time, three weeks. And he has said he has been like a, a mother, a gentle mother to the Thessalonians. He has been an encouraging father. That he, has, he has glued himself, he has bonded with these people in a special, special way. Like how does that happen How does he get so close to these people, loving them? He says he shared his life with them in just three weeks. See, I think the only way this could have happened is that Paul lived with urgency. Paul lived with urgency. Paul knew time was short. Relationships matter. Like, he can't wait. He can't hold back. He can't be this, like, Christian introvert, like, waiting for this, like, special, holy, kumbaya moment to put himself out there. Like, he's got to jump in. He's got to initiate. He's got to ask questions. He's got to engage in relationships. Paul knows he has to put himself out there first. Two months ago, I was was with a team from Harvest, and we were down in in St. Vincent with Pastor Miche. And every night, we would, uh, we would debrief together as a team. This was like the best part of the trip. I mean, we're just processing, uh, talking about the day, hearing God at work, just learning each other's stories, our testimonies. And early on in the week, uh, Cody, Myers, Cody Myers shares with us, he says, hey guys, we need three seconds of courage. Like time is short. We are here one week. Like we don't know these people. This is a new city Three seconds of courage. Like we, we've got to trust that the Lord has brought us here on this mission for a reason. We, we need to put ourselves out there. We can't hold back. We can't wait. Like let's jump in. So that week, like this was our anthem. I mean, this was on our mind. Three seconds of courage. So the next day, we're, we're walking around Georgetown. We're canvassing the city with Pastor Miche. Pastor Miche wanted us to wear harvest shirts 
And, and so we are walking billboards in Georgetown. We are wearing the, the bright blue baptism t-shirts. We're walking around wearing our backpacks and our bright blue shirts and like the whole city is just staring at us. Like little kids like are pointing out the windows saying like white peoples. Like I know you hear St. Vincent, you're thinking Caribbean, uh, you're, you're thinking Sandals Resort. No, like, like third world country. So we are walking, handing out flyers, and Miche doesn't want to miss a soul. I mean, these are, these are prospects. These are potential Harvest members. We've got 500 flyers we're handing out to the city, walking billboards telling everybody about Harvest. Harvest is coming. We're walking by this police station, and Pastor Miche tells Amy Elam, hey, hey, go down. Hey, there's two guys. Go talk to those guys by a police station. So Amy Elam, by herself, walks down the back alley of this police station. Misha didn't realize these two guys standing out here, they're inmates. They're on trash duty. Amy Elam's walking down the alley saying, three seconds of courage, three seconds of courage, three seconds of courage. She walks up to these guys, hands them a flyer, tells them about harvest. Like, when's the last time someone told these guys about church? Like, I guarantee, like, when these guys get out, like, they are checking out Harvest. Two days later, we're walking by the same police station, and these two guys, they're up in their prison cells. Like, their faces are pressed against the bars. They saw Amy, and they're like, we want to come to church with you. Can we come to church with you? They didn't make it to church with us. <laughs> See, Harvest, sometimes I think that, that we miss ministry opportunities because we're standing back, right? Like, like we're holding back. Like we become this Christian introvert where we're just holding back, checking things out, observing from a distance that we want to feel comfortable, that we're waiting for this special holy kumbaya moment and we're not willing to jump in. See, I think the Lord wants us to have an attitude of yes. Yes, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll talk to this person. Yes, I'll put myself out there first. Yes, I'll initiate this conversation. Yes, I'll love these people. Yes, I'll step up. I'll get out of my comfort zone. Yes, I'll go. That's what the gospel tells us. Church, if Amy can walk in a third world country in the back alley of a prison to inmates, church, what's stopping us? Like, what's holding us back? What's our excuse? See, the Lord wants us to have an attitude of yes. He wants us to live with urgency, and he wants us to share the gospel with simplicity. Look at verse two. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. See, obviously over three weeks, I mean, Paul shared a whole lot more about the gospel than this, but in Acts, this is all that we have. Look how simple this is. Using the Old Testament, Paul proved the Christ, it was necessary for him to suffer to die, to rise from the dead. Jesus has come, he has suffered, he has died, he has risen from the dead. Therefore, Jesus is the Christ. The word the Christ, that's, that's a title. 
In the New Testament, that's the same word as the Old Testament word Messiah, meaning the, the anointed one, meaning the one that's been sent by God to be the king. So here Paul in Thessalonica, he's in the synagogue, he's preaching to the Jews and he is telling them the Messiah the one sent by God, the anointed one, the long anticipated, the one we've been waiting for has come. The king has come and Jesus is his name. Remember this. This is what gets Paul in trouble later on. See, sometimes I think we overcomplicate the gospel when the message is, is really simple. That God sent his son Jesus. That Jesus suffered. That he died on the cross that Jesus stood in my place doing for me what I could not do for myself, that Jesus died for my sins. He was buried. He was placed in the tomb. Three days later, God rose him from the grave. Jesus is alive. My sins can be forgiven. I can be reconciled to God. See, the message of the gospel is simple, but I think, I think Satan, he deceives us. He lies to us. I think he intimidates us. He, he whispers to us that, that we need to know all of the Bible theologies. We need to know all of the answers to doctrine and scripture. That he gets in our minds and messes with us that, that we have to like understand the essence of the Trinity before we can share the gospel, our story. Now the one thing I learned in seminary, well one of the things I learned in seminary, when I graduated, one of the things I learned was, was actually how much I don't know, Right? Like, like the more you know in a field of study, the more you realize you don't know. So all of the classes, all of the courses, all of the books, all that I got into this, the more I realized it's just bigger, it's deeper, it's wider. I'm just scratching the surface. When I graduated, the more I realized, the more I don't actually know. Gregory the, Gregory the Great, like this guy sounds smart, right? Gregory the Great in the sixth century, he wrote a commentary on the book of Job. Okay, this isn't Philippians. He wrote it on Job. And in it, he says the Bible is like a stream of running water in which a lamb may walk and an elephant may swim. That's so cool. I've been downtown at the zoo. I've seen elephants swim. Have you seen that? Like, that's a real thing. Like, they really do that. Here's what he's saying, that the Bible... It's simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand, for a child to read. It's simple enough for a lamb to walk, and yet it challenges the greatest of minds. It's, it's as bottomless, as deep enough for elephants to swim. Paul was a brain. I mean, the best of the best, brightest of the brightest. Like, he had a resume like no other. Straight A's, best education, his experience. Like, Paul, hands down, he was a brain. But when he shared the gospel, he shares it simply. Church, we don't need to swim with the elephants. We're sharing the gospel. We just need to walk with the lambs. The gospel in one sentence, right? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life the gospel in one sentence, that it was necessary for the Christ Jesus to suffer. He died and he rose from the grave. The gospel message is simple. Verse five, but the Jews were jealous and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, like I, I didn't know what that word was, I had to look it up. Do you know what a rabble is? A rabble 
is this like low-life troublemaker. He's this, this person who stood around in the marketplace with nothing to do, no job, nowhere to be, looking to pick a fight. So the Jews who were jealous, taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, like riots, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And then we could not find them. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Man, Harvest, I hope people say that about us, that we are turning the world upside down for the sake of the gospel. And Jason has received them, and, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus Here's what's so crazy with this. The Roman world was a polytheistic culture, meaning that they, they worshiped the, the coexistence of, of many gods. They were tolerant of, of many gods. That's not an issue, worshiping many gods. The city of Athens, which is just two stops away for Paul, he's about to get there. The city of Athens had 30,000 gods that people worshiped. The city authorities, they had no problem, no issue with people worshiping many gods. But when Paul shows up, when he stands up and he says there is only one true and living God, that Jesus is his name, that the Messiah, the King has come, all of a sudden these people who are openly tolerant become intolerant. Do you know that's happening here in the US? Like this is so our story today that the religious expression and freedom, that the world religions, that the religious pluralism, that the the worship of of many gods coexisting, all roads lead to heaven, the openly tolerant are becoming increasingly intolerant of Christ and the church and Christians. Church, our culture is changing. The tides are turning. Something is happening. This is our story too. Look at verse eight. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed, like they were offended. <laughs> like, like people are so easily offended today, aren't they? So easily offended because of Christ. It's offensive to now say that Jesus is the way, the truth, life, that no one can come to the Father except through him. It's, ex- it's offensive to say that Jesus is the one true and living God, that Jesus is the king. The gospel's offensive And when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Hey, Paul, how's your trip to Thessalonica? Well, I was was there for three weeks. I incited a mob. I caused a riot. Um, They drug my friends downtown to the city authorities, slapped them around, stuck them with a a security deposit, a fine, so if I ever go back to that city, they're gonna lose their money. Like, how do you put that on a postcard? This trip is a nightmare. I mean, this, this is exactly what you don't want to have happen on a missions trip. Paul and Silas, Timothy, they, they can just brush it off. They can just go to the next city, but these people, Jason and the believers, like, this is their home. This is where they live. See, I think this tells us so much about the faith of the Thessalonians. That here Paul shows up and in three weekends, three weeks, he shares the gospel. He shares his life with them and they believe. 
And when life gets hard, when opposition, resistance, adversity, persecution comes, they, they hang with it. They believe. Like, like this is a tangible, a, a real faith for these believers. I mean, way to go, Thessalonians. See, being on a mission li- means that we, we live with urgency and we share the gospel with simplicity and it means that we keep Jesus a priority. Look at verse 10. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Like, like again, like not the best way to end a missions trip, like sneaking away in the middle of the night. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. I mean, if this was me, I'd be thinking like, how many times do I have to go to the synagogue just to be chased out and kicked out of town, right? This is what Paul did over and over and over for 20 years of his life. He goes to a city he finds the synagogue. He preaches the gospel. Sometimes people believe. He expects to get beat up, and then he goes on to the next city. This is Paul's mission. This is what he did for 20 years of his life. This is what he was called to. I'm so glad that we're not Paul, that, that God hasn't called us to be traveling itinerant evangelists going from city to city to city sharing the gospel. God doesn't expect this from us, but he does have a mission for you. And so for Paul, it's, it's his custom, it's his, his routine, it's, it's his habit, his pattern, that's what he does. He goes to the city, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches Jesus. Sometimes people believe he expects to get beat up and then he goes on to the next city. That's the book of Acts. That's what we see Paul doing over and over and over again. That's, that's his story. Have you ever noticed how ministry is so much easier like when you're not home? I mean, that's why mission trips are like so impactful right? Because you're not home. You have no distractions. You just took a week off work. You are surrounded by people and all you're doing is loving God, loving others. Ministry is so easy when you're, home, when, when, you're, when you're not home. See, the hardest thing about a missions trip is not going. It's actually coming back home. But this is where God wants us to experience him. If all of life is ministry, if every day is a ministry opportunity, if this is our weekly rhythm, our custom, our pattern, just like Paul, this is where God wants us to experience him as we keep Jesus a priority in our life. Man, keeping Jesus a priority, that's so easy when you're at Camp Harvest. That's so easy when you're on a missions trip. But then the daily grind, like the week after week, and every day, that's when it's hard. That's when God wants us to experience him. It doesn't matter where you are on the map. All of life is ministry. God wants us to keep Jesus a priority. Look at verse 11. And now these Jews were more noble, like this is a total Bible slam here. Uh, The Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Uh, They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed. With not a few of the Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Like Berea is 50 miles away. Like these rabblers, they went a hundred mile 
round trip just to hate on Paul. 50 miles? Round trip? 100 miles? Like, don't they have anything better to do? The answer, no. These are guys with nothing to do. Isn't it interesting that the highly unmotivated are all of a sudden now very motivated against Christ? There's only been one time in my life that I, I think I've, I've been in like the presence of like physical danger, a uh, threat of violence because of Christ. It was the summer in Brazil. And this trip almost never happened because there was a man who lived on the lake and his name was Raymond and Raymond hated Christians. I mean, he hated the church, hated these missionaries who were there. He threatened our trip, threatened the church, threatened the, the leaders. I mean, the construction of this church was on and off, on and off all summer because of Raymond's threats of violence. I mean, this, this was real. I mean, we were in the, the, the middle of the Amazon rainforest jungle. Like, I don't think there's laws. It's survival. And here's Raymond. He hates the church. The last day of the summer, the leaders, there were 25 students and four leaders. Uh, the leaders, they, they, I think we must have picked the short straws. The leaders asked me and two of my friends to, to pack up all of our bags, all of our supplies, all of the gear of the team, load it into this boat, and we we're gonna have this Portuguese driver like, like take us across the lake. The lake was receding, and so we had to get off the lake. Like, this was our time. It was, it was urgent. And so we couldn't have a boat. There wasn't a boat big enough for all of the team and all of our stuff. And so they, they sent three of us ahead with all of our stuff. And so me and Dennis and Herb, we, we jump on the boat. Like, Dennis, he was Canadian. Like, this guy was, like, as big as a tree. Herb, he was, he was this, like, mountain man from Wyoming, so we're loaded up on this boat going across the lake with our Portuguese driver and, and we're like not even close to the shoreline and he, he cuts the motor, he kills the engine and we start floating in and he starts paddling. Like I thought that was weird. We're a ways away, like turn on the engine. All of a sudden like he stands up, like he's on edge. He's like looking around. He speaks Portuguese, so I don't know. So we float up. Me, Dennis, and Herb, we jump out, we unload all of our stuff, make a pile, and our driver, he, he takes the boat back. The team is gonna take another boat on another river, and then they're gonna come pick us up on the tributary. So here, me, Dennis, and Herb, the three of us, we are, we are loading all of the supplies, all of the bags, we're carrying it over the hill, through the, through the jungle, and down to the, to the river. The boat's gonna pick us back up. So for a couple hours, we are walking through these trails. See, what we didn't know was this trail, this property was Raymond's. Like our leaders forgot to mention that. Right when we jumped into the boat to take all the stuff, the rest of the team got together. They got down on their knees and they were praying for the next two hours that the Lord would protect us. We were clueless. We had no idea like, now I know why parents have to sign release and liability forms for mission trips. <laughs> so for two hours, we're carrying all of our gear, all of our stuff. We get it down to the river. We've got nothing to do. So the three of us, we took a nap. We fell asleep here on the bags, clueless that we were arms reach within danger. All of a sudden, we're woken up because there's this, this boat that's coming up the river. It's our team. And they jump out. Like the girls, <laughs> the girls are crying. Everyone's giving us hugs. And we're like, what's going on? John 17. 
Jesus is praying, not just for his disciples, Jesus is praying for us. And he's praying for us on a mission. And Jesus is praying not that the Lord would take us, not that the Father would take us out of the world, but that within the world, he would protect us. Like I'm telling you, maybe there's been times in your life where you've been clueless, that you are arms reach within danger, that you are oblivious, have no idea, but the Lord shows up. That the Lord stands in the gap that the Lord surrounds you, that the Lord protects you as you are on this mission for him, as he is working in you and through you, and the Lord is with you. Like I'm telling you, church, that's real. Jesus prayed it. It's happening. Look at verse 14. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. That's like 222 miles away. Like he had to get away from the rabblers. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, uh, they departed. All right, here's here's like a map of, of what's going on at this time. Like there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of different cities. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go to Thessalonica. They're chased out by the rabblers. So they go to Berea, 50 miles away. The rabblers come and chase them out there, so Paul has to go to Athens, 222 miles away. Silas and Timothy, they stay in Berea, and then Paul sends for them, and they meet him in Athens. And then it's here in Athens that Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, back to follow up. And then it's here in Athens that that Paul sends Silas back to Philippi and to check up on Berea. So now Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're all alone in three different cities. Then Paul walks to Corinth, 50 miles away. And then Paul, Silas, Timothy, they all meet back up. They all convene back together in Corinth. And it's here in Corinth that they're now writing these letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. It's, it's been two or three months since they got kicked out of Thessalonica. They visited these other cities. Timothy went back. He's come back and give a report. And now Paul, Silas, and Timothy from Corinth are now sending a letter back to the Thessalonians. Let's turn over to First Thessalonians. We've just walked through this, this first missions trip to Thessalonica. This is a, a window into the, the backstory, the, the relationships that Paul and Silas and Timothy had with these believers and, and how he loves them and, and how this, this, was, this was not a very good missions trip. Look at the end of, of chapter two. We're gonna pick up where we, uh, where we started last week. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers... Right, like the middle of the night they had to leave. They were torn away. For a short time, it's been a couple months now, in person, not in heart. Like they didn't want to leave. They totally left prematurely. They, They wanted to stay. We've been torn away for a short time in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul again and again like he sent Timothy Timothy has seen them face to face Paul has not Paul wants to see them again and again but Satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming is it not you 
for you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could not bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. From Athens, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're all alone, three different cities. Remember last week, Pastor Nate taught us that, that Paul, Silas, Timothy, they, they orphaned themselves that they, they split up their ministry family, they, they split up their, their ministry team, that they orphaned themselves to go back to these cities to spread the gospel, to follow up with the disciples. Verse two, we, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ. Here's, here's why they sent Timothy, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved, literally that, that no one be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. When he says we, he's not just saying like we three, Paul, Silas, Timothy. He's not just saying we as in we and the Thessalonians. He, he's saying we all. That as, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we are destined for this. What are we destined for? What does it say? For you yourselves know that we are destined for afflictions. I'm not sure I like that. Maybe the ESV has a wrong translation here. The NIV says that we're destined for trials. NLT says we're destined for troubles. The KJV, the NASB says we're destined for afflictions. Other translations say that we are destined for suffering, for persecution, for tribulations. That we as Christians are destined for this. See, Harvest, we're people on a mission. That means we must know our destiny. We are destined for trials and troubles and persecution and suffering, tribulation, How's that settle with you? Look at verse four. For when we were with you, Acts 17, we kept telling you beforehand that, that we, that, that, that we all were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. See, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they, they brushed themselves off. They went to the next city, but now the Thessalonians there's resistance, there's rejection, there's adversity because of their faith. This is their hometown, this is where they live. The gospel has offended these people. This is their home, and now they're suffering because of it. See, the Bible doesn't separate persecution and suffering. We do. We, we, we tend to, to separate and disconnect these two, but the Bible addresses, the Bible speaks to these two realities as the same thing. And see, we might not ever be persecuted for our faith. We, we may not be run out of town because we're Christians, but we know what it means to suffer. We know what it means to, to go through a trial. And see, here what, what Paul inspired is telling us and I know this flies in the face of our experiences, but when we suffer, 
we should not be surprised. See, that's what Paul's telling us, that when we suffer, he says, I told you in advance, we talked about this beforehand, I told you this was coming, that, that when we suffer, we should not be surprised. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. When the storms of life come crashing against your house, what's your foundation? It's a matter of when we suffer. And if you're not suffering right now, that means you are training for a trial. Church, it's coming. You're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're training for a trial. And destiny does not mean that suffering is the goal of our life. It just means it's inevitable. We can't escape it. It's gonna happen. Trials and troubles and tribulations are coming. I mean, these are always the things that we never signed up for. These are the things that, that are knocking on our door because we live in a broken, in a fallen, in a sin-cursed world. Affliction will happen. Look at verse five. For this reason, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you in our labor would be in vain. There's three reasons that Paul sends Timothy back to the Thessalonians to, to encourage and strengthen them. He sends them so that they, they wouldn't be shaken. He, he sends them that they wouldn't be surprised by their afflictions. He told them. They knew it was coming. And he sent Timothy back to make sure that they're not suffering in vain. That the gospel message is not wasted with these Thessalonians that it would take root in their heart, that they would believe it, that they would be living it out no matter how hard it got. See, studying this, this passage, I keep going back to what Paul said in Acts 17, that when he, he first came and when he first shared the gospel, I mean, imagine all of the things he could have said, what did he tell the Thessalonians? That it was necessary for Christ to suffer. I mean, from the very beginning, Paul shared the gospel through the lens of suffering with these people. And now, they're suffering. See, we are, are broken in a broken world. Suffering is, is real life. And the only answer is Christ. Is Jesus who came to suffer. And when we share in the afflictions of suffering, we are sharing in the afflictions of Christ. Like that is our hope that through trial, through trouble, through tribulations, through the things that, that we don't want, we didn't sign up for, the things we wish would never happen, that through this, the Lord wants to show up. He wants to work in our life. He wants to make us more like Christ, sharing in the afflictions of Christ. Church, this is our destiny. And I've seen, I've seen two responses when affliction comes. I've, I've seen people who, who get angry, who get mad, who suffer bitterly, blaming God. And I've seen people who, who take it and they suffer well. 
And, and I think as, as we have this fork in the road, as we have these two choices of how we will choose to suffer when it comes, when it happens, we have to have a right view of God. Not just who he is, but how God views us. Two weeks ago, my wife and I, we sat at the, the bedside of Shirley Hamrick. Shirley's been here at Harvest since the very beginning. I mean, she has held hundreds of babies in our nursery. Like she calls these her grandbabies. In Shirley's words, she's, she's dying of cancer. She, she's not coming. She's not gonna get back. She's not gonna get better. But she's living out her mission. She's got hope. I mean, heaven is ready for her. One of the most encouraging things I've ever done as a pastor was sitting two weeks ago at the bedside with Shirley. As, as she is staring down death and suffering well. Shirley has a right view of God. Sitting with Shirley, we, we shared one verse and we held her hands and we prayed. And I want to share this verse because this verse not only gives us a right view of, of who God is, but it's a view of how God can see us. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. That even in the midst of your suffering, your pain, your persecution, that you are not alone. See, when we suffer, the biggest lie that we can have is that we are alone. We're not alone, church that the Lord is with us. The Lord is in our presence. The Lord is in our midst. He is a mighty one who will save. Some translations say a, a warrior who will save. Future tense will save, will rescue. He will fight for you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I think sometimes when we're suffering, we just deceive ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We just say that our life is a big failure, that we have just disappointed God, that we have just let God down. How does God view us? He rejoices over us. He loves us. He delights in us with gladness. I will quiet you. He says yeah, he will quiet you by his love. Like, like a father, like, like a father, like getting down, like on his knee, like, like holding like a crying child who's just like sobbing into the shoulder, like, like no words, like just holding, just hugging. Like that's what the Lord wants to do. That in the midst of the trial and the, tr and the pain, the train wreck, he can just quiet you by his love. I love this last one, that, that he will exult over you with loud singing. Oh, that's so cool. Imagine life is short. Imagine at our funeral, people gathering together to remember you, lifting up their voices to sing and hear the Lord is present and the Lord is singing loudly over all of us that the Lord is singing, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have fought the fight, you have kept the faith, you have finished the race. Now come home, my child. Be in my presence, that the Lord wants to sing over us, exalt us. Man, that's our God. 
That's who God is. That's how he can view us as we're on a mission for him, not wasting our life, but serving him. Harvest, this is our destiny. We need to have a right view of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we need your courage. God, we need your grace. Lord, we need your your faith to take a root in our lives, God, that we can believe this. Lord, that you can help us. Lord, be people like Shirley. Lord, be, be people like Paul on a mission. People living out our faith. Lord, this is real in everyday reality. Wherever we are on the map, God, may we be living as a people on a mission, living this way. Lord, we need your help doing this. This is something that we can't do on our own. God, we ask that you go before us. Lord, you help this happen. Lord, we pray these things in your name, the strong name of Jesus. Amen.